Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. I think the core set of problems that I've been trying to solve have been pretty much there from the start. It's um, it's how to make the sheet music look as good as possible, turn as quickly as possible, how to annotate as naturally as possible. Uh, those are kind of the three big ones, and everything since then has just gotten me closer to where I want to be with that. Like, again, Apple Pencil, the the way it interacts, uh, the, the number of of ways I've been able to tie that into Fourscore are incredible. You can you can now just write on the page and it just like like there used to be annotation mode. You'd have to enter annotation mode, then you can start drawing, then you have to save your work. Now it's basically transparent. You could just draw and when you're done, it's done. Uh, there's still this little bit of friction. I, I need to be able to work quickly and you know every everything I I do basically attempts to get closer and closer to that and I think I think we've pretty much gotten there which is fantastic. Welcome back to another episode of App Pros. This episode is long overdue. You'll be hearing from Justin Bianco, the creator of the popular sheet music reading app Fourscore. He just rolled out version 14, and we will be diving into this new version, as well as the app in general. This app is now 13 years old and has been steadily updated year after year and is one of the truly great iPad-first apps, and remember using it, back in 2010 and 11 when it was first introduced. As a reminder, you can support this podcast over patreon.com slash iPadPros or by subscribing to the podcast in Apple Podcasts. Every dollar goes a long way and is greatly, greatly appreciated. Support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month over patreon.com slash iPadPros. With that, here's my interview with Justin. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Justin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And uh, congrats on Fourscore version 14. Kind of crazy. It's uh, version 14 at this point. Yeah. It's been, uh, what, 13 years now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, before we dive into Fourscore, uh, what's your background? Like, I'm, I'm always curious about that. Are you a musician yourself? Um, mm-hmm. And kind of what was the iPad to you when it came out? And, and was this kind of a revelation that you could combine, you know, sheet music with maybe a love you have of music? Yeah, so I I played piano basically my whole life as um, as soon as I was old enough to reach the keys. My mother yeah. says, so um, always been interested in music. Always really interested in classical music. Um, I play mostly by ear. I learned using the Suzuki method, which kind of encourages you to listen and yeah. to play by ear. And so I actually kind of am not great at reading sheet music, Okay, yeah, <laughs> which is something people don't expect from someone <laughs> who makes an app like Fourscore. But uh, yeah, I've, um, I've always been interested in making music. I got into electronic music in my teens. And um, when the iPad came out, it just like the moment I saw it, it just looked like something that deserved sheet music. That seemed like yeah. the number one thing. Um, I mean, any kind of document really, right. but like, it's it just like flashbacks to all these people with big carts on wheels and like way too much paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, <clears throat> it seemed really obvious to me that that was something that needed to happen. So I took my very limited experience at that point and uh, bought a book on programming and figured it out from there so yeah this is your first project and uh, you've as as we'll talk about you've spanned off and done some other related apps to Fourscore, mm-hmm. but this was your first app yeah yeah wow yeah um 
Uh, it was written for iPhone OS 3.2 using the simulator. Yeah. Because for about four months uh, after it was announced, nobody had outside of Apple had even touched one. Yes. So that was a fun learning curve. I was like, oh, there's all this all this stuff I've done in theory, and now I'm actually running it on my first device. And it turns out I made all sorts of assumptions about performance on a Mac that don't yeah. translate to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. So this must have been quite the journey over these past 10 years or so, growing as a developer alongside you know iOS. I'd imagine starting back then... I don't know. Is it easier to start back then, you think, than to start today with iOS being more complicated as as it is as a platform? It would be more daunting, I think. Um, when I started, I was basically able to just create a PDF reader. Uh, we Nobody really even knew until the last minute that uh, something like iTunes file sharing was going to actually yes. ship. So I built it with about 300 public domain scores included yeah. so that there was something to view. And that was kind of where it started. It was like a public domain sheet music library. Right. And then, you know, people were able to add their own and then annotation became a thing. And so, like, it evolved really quickly into something else yeah. as as I had hoped it would. But yeah. um I think it would be a much more daunting proposition now to say, okay, we've got everything from Apple Pencil to SwiftUI and, and uh, you know, contextual menus and like layers of complexity that absolutely did not exist back then. But from a technical level, you know, 2010 was like retain and release and like <laughs> garbage collection. And oh yes. my God, all of these, these things that you had to think about that would make a lot of people's eyes gloss over at this point. Uh, yeah. that you don't have to deal with. So it's it's far simpler to do what I did back then, but that's not enough now. So I guess that's my really complicated answer. Yeah. <laughs> and what's your current iPad setup, and do you use it for stuff other than you know using your own app? I wish I did. The problem I have is that I have to test with so many different devices and I'm constantly upgrading that I yeah. never have one set up perfectly for me. <laughs> so like when I travel, I have an iPad mini. I have the latest mm -hmm. iPad mini and I love that size. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. At my desk, I'm switching between the 11 inch and the 12.9 inch iPad pros. Mm -hmm. um, I've got the the M2 for testing Apple Pencil hover support. Yeah. I've got the, the M1. Um, it's... Um, it's funny that they keep releasing uh, releasing new models that don't seem very different from right. the old ones, but that have like one key thing. One little thing. <laughs> and with your app, with Apple Pencil, Hover seems yeah. like something you'd want to try. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, man, Apple Pencil in general is just a, a fantastic thing. We're going to talk a lot about that, I yes, think, today. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So I was a, my background, I was a music major, composition major in college. Um, so iPad came out uh, 2010. I graduated in 2010, so I used it for just a couple months before <laughs> graduation hit. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, the uh, the I remember the days of having you know, especially in pit orchestra or whatever, having this book that you're just going through. I'm not, I'm not, and it's probably i don't know with pit orchestra if it's still like that i remember them licensing that stuff out i don't know if there's companies that have digital versions of like pit orchestra stuff that's very protected as far as giving that back in i don't know yeah i'm not sure what that environment's like these days yeah but um yeah, and you're there. You're down there in the dark with the little uh, light attached to the stand, so an iPad would alleviate that need as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so as you've been developing the app over the years, what have been some of your favorite advances to the iPad kind of hardware over time? It's, it's shifted quite a bit over the, the years. Yeah, I mean, I, I said it already, but I think Apple Pencil is absolutely number one. It's not just that it came along and, and made annotation far more practical. It's that they somehow keep finding ways to push it forward. Yeah. I'm I'm really surprised because you look at the iPad in general, and there's there's a lot of work going into the fundamental technologies there. But, you know, the iPad is, I would say, more stagnant than the iPhone, except for the Apple Pencil. The Apple Pencil mm-hmm. seems to be where they keep finding new ways to connect the dots um, and to make things more interesting. Um, I, I think that's absolutely number one. It's not just things like the double tap to undo or redo or whatever switch tools. Um, it's now this, the hover gesture, which yeah. it doesn't seem like much of a deal. It, it seems like it's just an aesthetic thing, but you know, when you, when you pair it with something like live annotation, um, it makes all the difference. Yeah. No, Apple Pencil's been remarkable, and not even needing to update the Apple Pencil hardware to enable that's uh, super cool as well. Exactly. Any other general iPad thoughts before we move on to Fourscore? Mm, I just, I really love the iPad. I, um, I, I think it's the it's the coolest device that I've seen in a long time, and I can't believe that for being basically a square of glass, it's uh, it's still still as compelling as it was back then in yeah. so many cool ways. Yeah. yeah. The first moment of using maps and just zooming in with your fingers was just, yeah. Ooh, it's just, I, yeah, it's going to be a fun, fun time yeah. with this device. Um, so you mentioned you have multiple iPads for testing. How, what's your kind of your oldest up and running iPad you kind of test with four score? Oh boy. Um, I have an iPad air two, I think. Yeah. Um, I, that's probably the oldest one. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've I've got a couple couple of old phones too, but I I just Foursquare fourteen Foursquare fourteen drop support for iOS uh, fourteen. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so um, every every chance I get to to drop support for an old OS, especially in a situation like where Apple has not dropped any devices between 13 and 15. Mm-hmm. So anyone who can upgrade to 13 can go all the way to 15. So yes. I don't feel so bad dropping support for something like 14. Uh, but that's usually my chance to to pair out my old gotcha. devices and yeah. send them off to a better place. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we've briefly mentioned it. Uh, sheet music uh, is all is what Foursquare is for. Can you kind of describe um, it a bit more in depth as far as what this app is for and who's who is it for? Yeah, so it's for musicians who play from sheet music. It's uh, it's an organizer and viewer. So it's um, it's primarily a sheet music reader. It puts the sheet music on screen with as few distractions as possible, uh, gets out of your way, and then helps you organize those those pieces of music into set lists or into categories so you can find them, and then augments that experience with things like annotation, audio, playback, um, like backing tracks and things, mm-hmm. um, and then adds on tools like a metronome, a tuner, piano keyboard. So it's, um, it's primarily just a way to display your sheet music and access it quickly, and then adds on a bunch of layers to try and make your life easier as a musician to address those those little niggles as they come up. Yeah, and we'll talk about later the page turning uh, mechanisms you built in are quite clever as well. Um, so you're not fiddling around with uh, you know reaching up as much uh, as you do in yep. the paper world. I, I've been to many concerts and I've been the victim of. Uh, a stand falling in the paper going everywhere. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's a rite of passage. Yes. 
So this app is clearly iPad first, uh, but it's also available for iPhone and Mac. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious. I, I can't imagine marching band people are using iPhones to mount it to their clarinets, but have you seen crazy uses of the iPhone or and, and the Mac? How are people using it there? I have seen almost exactly that, actually. iPhones attached to to uh, brass instruments <laughs> in marching bands. That's awesome. It does happen. Yeah. Um, now, the, the, iPhone, um, the iPhone was born out of the iPad's adoption of split view and slide over. It became obvious uh, kind of around whenever that was, 2013, 14. It became obvious that locking an iPad device into a specific screen size was not going to work anymore. Yeah. And if I was going to do all the work to adjust for these multitasking modes, then it made sense to try and and shrink it down onto an iPhone as well. And I think it's interesting because you see so many apps that go from iPhone to iPad, right. and they end up looking pretty Spartan on the iPad, whereas yeah. Fourscore has taken advantage of every corner it can find, and then you have to squeeze that down. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely changed how I approached design and was an interesting challenge. But then the obvious question is, well, why the heck would anyone try to read sheet music on an iPhone? <laughs> and that's where Reflow came in, which was a a system I built for parsing systems of music and then rearranging them, laying them out end to end like a horizontal teleprompter. So you can take a standard piece of sheet music and turn it into one long stream of music that you can actually scroll through on an iPhone. So before that point, it didn't make any sense. But once I cracked that, once I figured out that I had some sort of solution for reading sheet music on a phone, then it became, okay, well, let's Let's do this. Let's make this a, a phone-compatible app. And then the Mac came out, and Mac has always been my number one. It's always been where I started. It's where I love to work. So making a, a Mac version was a dream. Yeah. Um, Cat- Catalyst has been a little hit and miss in spots, but um, Catalyst being the, I don't know if anyone knows, but the the technology that Apple introduced that lets iPad apps uh, work on the, the Mac with minimal effort, um, then that's something that I love to develop for myself and for the people who do use it, it doesn't get nearly as much use, just like the iPhone doesn't get nearly as much yeah. use, but it's um, it, it's something I believe in. It's something I want to create, so it, it gets love. Yeah, and imagine a MacBook, you could pop it on top of a piano pretty nicely and use it in that there, and you can angle the screen much better than you could um, most iPads, I'd say. And uh, mm-hmm. Is the keyboard um, a bigger part of the Mac app and did the kind of learnings you had of using more keyboard and trackpad interactions come down to the iPad for further interactions there if you are using it in that orientation? You know, I, I think the the Mac support and the improved keyboard and trackpad support on the iPad came at right about the same time. So I would say they're pretty mm-hmm. equally balanced. Yeah. I think anything you can use uh, a keyboard and, and trackpad or mouse for on a Mac, you could easily make the same argument for on an iPad. And I think they work pretty interchangeably. And I, I credit Apple a lot for that. Um, I, I think the obvious use cases for um, for organizing your sheet music, you yeah. don't want to sit there and type on the software keyboard all day. Nope. So uh, that's that's number one. Uh, and then things like text annotations as well. Yeah. Is, um, is there page turning with just like a space bar hit or what's the <laughs> gesture there for using keyboard for that? And the, there's a couple, you can use the arrow keys and then I think, um, return and space. Okay. Um, yeah, there's, 
there's a number of combinations you can use based on the the different page turning peripherals that came out early on. Those were mostly keyboard based. Yeah. So one company would show up and say, "Oh, these are the two keys we use." Yes. Some other company would have different. So there's like a set of built in ones, but see, um, yeah. they're also totally customizable in Fourscore, so you can use whatever you like. Yeah, and the, the accessory scene has evolved quite a bit since iPad hit. There's now music stands that are basically iPad music stands. There's mm-hmm. Bluetooth pedals. Uh, what are some of the big hardware accessories you've uh, grown fond of over the years? Oh, there's so many. Um, I, I am such a gadgeter. At some point when I was bored, I decided to test out using the iPad's magnetometer yeah. to see if I could reliably detect changes in an electromagnet to turn pages. <laughs> I, I, I went super elementary school. I took a wrench and some copper wire and I like wrapped it around and yeah. I connected it to a battery and I had this proof of concept <laughs> that it was so fun. I'm, I'm always looking for uh, cheap ways to create page turners, uh, cheap technologies so that people yeah. can, can have what they need without the, the cost, right. uh, without the barrier. But um, there's, yeah, there's everything from like turning your head with AirPods on to, um, you know, double tapping the pencil, I think could even work. I, I think you can program that in. Uh, then there's all the keyboard based page turners. Then there was the second generation that mostly relied on Bluetooth LE. Mm-hmm. Um, there are Bluetooth MIDI devices. You can just use MIDI signals without Bluetooth. Um, yeah, I mean, now there's face gestures. You can wink at your screen and it flips the page for you. Yeah. It's, um, basically, you can you can find a way that works for you <laughs> as long as you don't have to reach out and tap the screen. Yeah, I wonder if anyone straps an Apple Pencil to their musical instrument for the double tap. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be fun yeah that's an interesting uh setup yeah uh, so we're at version 14 um mm-hmm. kind of what's is there an origin story uh, you mentioned this you know the ipad came out and you were like sheet music needs to be on this and kind of where did it start and what have been some of the major additions over the year to bring us to where we are today you mean with Fourscore 14 specifically or just from the start from the start yeah I think the core set of problems that I've been trying to solve have been pretty much there from the start. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's how to make the sheet music look as good as possible, turn as quickly as possible, how to annotate as naturally as possible. Uh, those are kind of the three big ones. And everything since then has just gotten me closer to where I want to be with that. Yeah. Like, again, Apple Pencil, the the way it interacts, uh, the the number of of ways I've been able to tie that into Fourscore are incredible. You can you can now just write on the page and it just like like there used to be annotation mode. You'd have to enter right. annotation mode, yeah. then you can start drawing, then you have to save your work. Now it's basically transparent. You could just draw and when you're done, it's done. Just like and, paper. Like if you're in a, a rehearsal, someone yells at you do this, you exactly. your pencil and do it. And that's that's what everyone kept telling yeah. me. It was like, look, this is like this is great, but this is not like uh, there's still this little bit of friction. I, I need to be able to work quickly, and you know, every everything I I do basically attempts to get closer and closer to that. And I think I think we've pretty much gotten there. Yeah, which is fantastic. No, that's awesome. Now, one of the little things I want to mention uh, first is you have setting profiles, which I don't think I've seen this in hardly any other app. Uh, the ability to have different settings set up. Uh, so, so you have a configuration for jazz versus concert band or marching band. You can have different settings and just load that profile up. Was that kind of hard to like, from a UI perspective, to figure out how to convey? You can have these different settings and to swap between them. And you know, where did this idea come from? 
Well, I, um, it, it ties a little bit into Fourscore Pro, so I think when we talk yeah. a little bit more about that, um, we can we can dive into that more. But basically, yeah. i I wanted to create um, I wanted to create user level support, and Apple just wasn't coming to the table with it. They've done some stuff in education. Uh, but it requires that everything be offloadable to the cloud at a moment's notice. It's it's pretty fragile. It's it's not really popular. You don't see the average person wandering around with an iPad with two um, two users on it. But basically, this is this is a huge need that I've seen, and they weren't helping me address that. And I thought, okay, well, what what is the what is the core goal here? We already have libraries, so you can yep. already separate your stuff out into two libraries. So if you are sharing your iPad with your kid. You've got, you know, separate silos for that stuff, but what else could change? And it mostly comes down to Fourscore settings, and it could be a number of different settings. It could be, you know, um, whether you like the tab bar showing. If you're working with multiple pieces pretty regularly, you want the tab bar visible. Or you have this gesture that works great when you're... um, when you're, you know, tweaking a piece, when you're getting ready, but when you're in performance, you just, you want the bare minimum. Yeah. So um, settings profiles is just a, basically a list of, of settings that you can just save and restore uh, permitted settings. And then a, a little UI for just switching between them. From a UI perspective, it was not hard, but um, yeah, it was, it was an itch I wanted to scratch. And yeah that seemed like the best way to, to get there without actually having users. The reflow mode, that would also enable you to have different zoom settings, right? Mm-hmm. So that could be another thing. People have different eyesight abilities with that. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned at the beginning, um, Fourscore had public domain music because we weren't quite sure iTunes file mm-hmm. sharing and that whole system, if that is that going to work really well. Um, so today, how do you get sheet music into Fourscore? I'm sure there's a couple of different ways at this point. As many ways as there are to turn pages. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, it, it ties into Apple's share functionality. So anytime you get a share sheet from anywhere related to a PDF, you can just send it over. So that means mail, Safari, any third-party app, anything that shares a PDF, you can just dump it into Fourscore. It also works with the Files app. So if you put anything into Fourscore's folder with through the files app, then it appears. Um, you can create templates uh, and you can have, you can create a name and, and a number of pages and it creates a PDF from that template. Um, there's some built-in, you can add your own. You can scan them in with the camera. Which that seems super cool. Like if I'm thinking about the college, so I hand, they hand out the sheet music and a, yeah. and a practice or whatever, I can just scan that right in. The scanning yeah. on iPads really remarkable. Um, how well that actually works. Early on, I actually had a standalone darkroom app because the iPad didn't have a camera, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I had a phone app that people yeah. could buy and uh, and use that to send their stuff over to Fourscore. <laughs> yeah, very um, cool. Yeah, yeah. With the templates, um, how do you see those used most? Because the the templates I've seen, they're they're blank sheet music. So is it mm-hmm. primarily for annotation and you're writing in different um, you know, practice things, scales or whatever you want to do. Yeah, it can be. It can also be for things like uh, you've got a set list and you need to add a, a page in between songs that has some some text on it. You can just create a, a blank one and then you can annotate on it. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And 
the annotation system. Um, how in depth does this get here? Do you have um, things to make it easier to add like flat signs versus writing a, a B? Uh, you have just mm-hmm. uh, yeah stuff like that. Yeah, so there's like a rubber stamp tool um, okay. that yeah. has a whole bunch of presets. Uh, there's a shapes tool for things that aren't a specific size, things like crescendos. Mm-hmm. So you can you can just drag and draw a shape from one point to another. And then all sorts of drawing presets. You can create your own presets um, and layer support. So you can have different sets of annotations, uh, separate them out into layers like you could in Photoshop, and you can show and hide them. So if you've got a set that you want while you're rehearsing, you can hide that while you're performing or vice versa. Nice. And a PDF, that is, is that the one and only format or does MIDI work like in some way or are there other file formats the music world has adopted in any way? No, I, you know, I, when I started, I, I felt like trying to, trying to make Fourscore work with a bunch of different formats was going to be an endless job yes. that, that would never be quite right. Um, yeah. you, you know, notation is a really nuanced thing. You can, you can take the concept of music and you can write it in a number of different ways stylistically. So mm-hmm. like, how do you turn MIDI into sheet music is a problem that will never yes. be solved, no. really. So I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have the tools and I Mm -hmm. didn't really have the interest to go in that direction. So I decided, you know what, you look around, what are the digital files that people have? They're PDFs. They're pretty much all PDFs. So I'm going to build an app that goes to them. And that's, that's where I've stuck. You know, there's a, there's a little built-in converter that lets you throw it like a text document into Fourscore and it'll turn that into a PDF for you yeah. on a really basic level. But for the most part, no, it's, it's yeah. PDF. All the and way. you're, what would you call it? It's not quite OCR, but how's the reflow work? You're analyzing that PDF and you know, it works well across like jazz print as well as classical. Like how, how has that side of things been for making sense of PDFs? I, I want to say that I have an advanced trained you know, ML yeah. <laughs> model using AI to to figure this out. And at some point I probably will, but right now it's just dumb math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at the pixel colors. I'm just separating it out. As, and, yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then as far as um, we mentioned getting she music into uh, four score, um, there is a store within Fourscore, and you're, mm-hmm. you also link up to these other ecosystems. What does kind of the digital music ecosystem look like these days? The ones that you plug into, uh, is it a vibrant shop? Is it like is there a, like a Kindle uh, equivalent to, uh, these mm-hmm. days for sheet music? Well, I'll start by saying Kindle and uh, and Apple's iBooks um, stores are are not. They don't play nicely. They don't let you have PDF copies. A lot so of DRM, they're as far as those two, yeah. They're siloed. So that's unfortunate because people do do find those and then they come to me and say, why can't I open it? Does Kindle um, actually sell sheet music? Is that a thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think they do. Um, they have a couple that I've seen. Yeah. Um, so when it's, like I said, when I, when Foursquare started, there were the, the scores that were included. There was the public domain stuff. Um, at some point that became unnecessary. So I pivoted that into a storefront and I offered most of those scores I think all of them at the start were for free, mm-hmm. but I invited other people to contribute their own music and to sell it through Fourscore. And it was an accounting nightmare, <clears throat> logistically speaking. Yeah, it was just not tenable. Apple system is not really built for that. They have um, they have kind of a maximum number of of 
in-app purchases you can have, and you have to manually enter them all in. It just it wasn't working, so I yeah, went that back. That could be to the a tr- cool thing. It would be uh, the, besides accounting. The nightmare would also be um, who's uploading copyrighted music to sell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And having contracts with all of these publishers and paying them every month, and yeah, it's yeah. Um, it was not not the right direction. <laughs> yes. So I pivoted and I started reaching out to some publishers. Um, in fact, I've had I've had conversations with publishers pretty much from the start, and they are. Um, they're an aspirational but slow bunch. <laughs> I, I, I mean, they, the technology moves a lot quicker than the publishing industry does, and for good reason. Um, that's an industry that's been hurt a lot by piracy, and I don't want to contribute to that. Yeah. So I, I want to find a way to bring them to the table in a way that is equitable. And so I created the content provider program, which lets users purchase sheet music through certain third-party websites, and then those websites give me an API so that I can discover that stuff, download it, offer it to them, offer it to the user to download in a protected way. So it's basically just a PDF, Mm -hmm. but you can't share it. You can't take it off of your iPad. So it's it's a great middle ground. It's a nice little perk you get. And I'm always looking to to talk to new publishers about adding them in. I think we've got six now. I'm hoping to have more. I think that's the future because digital sheet music, really good sheet music is so much better than any scan, any bad, you know, photocopy with Mm -hmm. black margins. (laughs) And you get those as a student, you'll have the director. They're not supposed to, I don't think, but they just copy these things and they'll like make copies of copies. And it's like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Another huge benefit of digital sheet music is uh, rather than a metronome kind of in the corner, you can have the page kind of pulse. And I'd imagine uh, you can actually link the bar to when the metronome would change. Is that right? How's, how's, that, how's the metronome system work within Foursquare? Um, yeah, it's, so it's not that advanced. Um, it's, uh, you can have a, a specific tempo per piece um you can set up like a button in the middle if you need to change the tempo but it doesn't really match up with any part of the music what it does do is you can enter in a number of beats per page and then it'll turn once that number is reached so you can kind of pre-program your your page turns based on the metronome and that ties Um, into the metadata so you have to just set that once for the piece of music and never have the okay yeah exactly okay very cool and yeah has the metronome always been kind of the pulsing page or how's that kind of evolved over the years? Yeah, but that that's one of like the 1.0 features or at least the 1.x. That was one of like three things that I had come up with very early on that are basically unchanged. It was the pulsating metronome, which I build as the metronome that Beethoven never had. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's the half page turns, which let you sort of rip the page in half so you can keep playing the bottom half of the current page while seeing the top half of the next page. So there's no visual interruption as you move from page to page. Mm-hmm. And then links, which are little tappable dots that take you from one spot in the current piece of sheet music to another. Yeah. So great for handling repeats and things. And those three are basically unchanged from the start. Yeah, very cool. And the links, it's so smart, like being able to do that because you have you have some music I remember. It's like multiple pages for it's like oh gosh, where am I? you know uh, the concert trying to get to the the right page. Again. Torture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
a bunch of organizational tools in here. You mentioned before set lists. There's bookmarks, flagging, tags, labels, now playing. You have multiple libraries. I'm sure there's something missing. So, you know, what are the, what's the best way to kind of organizing your music? I'm sure everyone has different uh, needs, which is why there's different tools in here. Exactly. And I try to make it as as um, progressive as possible so you could you can you can start with what you see right in front of you. You can organize it by, say, a composer, if that's the most important thing, or you can, you know, use use a genre or whatever you want to use. You stick with your primary method of organization and you go and you add that in and it separates them out and you can easily find them and you can just work in that one layer for as long as you like. And then as you find other ways, you know what, I do need to cross-reference this by you know key or whatever. You can go in and you can start to discover some of those things. It was really important to me that Fourscore be powerful and that it never be too powerful to get in the way of basic usage. So honestly, if you want to dump your PDFs in by file name and put them in the all scores folder and never categorize anything, you can do that. Yeah, uh, You can search for it by name. You can see it in the list. It'll work. Um, every layer of organization added on top of that is just a convenience to help you get more out of your library. And if... Do you get the OCR your documents prior to import for that like text search to to function, or is there some basic OCR built into Fourscore at this point? It's not OCR. There is uh, there is actual text reading of PDFs. So if they're digital PDFs, the, mm-hmm. the text will be included in there. Gotcha. Um, okay, that's the extent of it. Okay, and the idea behind the dashboard it kind of reminds me of Apple's um, kind of like Screen Time. Uh, where, where did the the dashboard come from, and, and what uses have you seen for this? I think it was an early suggestion. Uh, people just wanted to to see what they were playing and how long they were playing it. it. More specifically, in an educational environment, you know, letting students track their time mm-hmm. playing and then report that back to a teacher. Uh, it's it was something that I thought was really interesting. It gave me a chance to explore uh, a number of different new UI things, like the the goals were yeah. were circles right around when the Apple Watch was becoming a thing and had yeah. its rings and stuff. So it was like, okay, I can. I can see this. I want to try mm-hmm. something new. Uh, it's not not heavily used, but for the people who do use it, it, it scratches that itch. Yeah, there were times when teachers like you, you didn't practice, did you? It's like no, go home. It's like okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the dashboard, I, I would that that seems like it could, as a student, be highly uh, useful. Um, mm-hmm. And making sure, oh, I neglected this piece that I really don't like to practice. Let's get on this. And mm-hmm. yeah, so that absolutely, seems really. Really, really smart, and could be very useful for that. Um, does the dashboard data just live within the dashboard itself, or is it easy to generate reports from the past week or month or whatever the case be? Well, it goes back, I think, ninety days total. Okay. Gotcha. So you can go back and get your own data from from the current device, but it doesn't share it beyond the current device. Okay. I've been uh, from the start. I've been pretty adamant that I I don't really want to get into account creation. Um, storing your stuff on my servers, especially yeah. with the potential for copyright infringement with PDFs. I didn't really want to be in that business. So um, Foursquare's privacy policy is basically, nope, we don't, <laughs> we don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't have accounts. I don't collect data. I don't even have analytics in the app because at the end of the day, I have enough users that I trust that people will let me know when there's something that I've gotten wrong or something yeah. that I've missed. Uh, that's that's the kind of app I want to create. I don't want to focus so much on numbers because I think numbers can lie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. so dashboard data is all stored on device okay. is my answer. <laughs> and 
There, I think it, there is backup in sync through iCloud. Is that primarily settings or what? What, what is um, sunk between devices and backed up? Yeah, syncing is is relatively new now. Um, it is it does save your files to your iCloud account. Okay. On Apple servers. Yes. Okay. So nothing nothing hits me, but um, yeah. Okay. Very cool. And then um, anything to note on the different kind of display options. There's people use dark mode. There's different um, single or dual pages, uh, depending on how you want to, what kind of different display options uh, people have access to here. Well, there's that. Uh, there's a sepia mode. Uh, so when you're in the, in the pit, you're not glowing. You're not a ghost. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and then the, the display, uh, the, the page display modes, um, that was something kind of spurred on by this move from iPads all having the same aspect ratio to now, oops, mm-hmm. you're in split view, oops, yeah. you're on an iPhone. Oh, and now there's an 11-inch iPad that has an aspect ratio that's completely different than anything else we've ever made before. Uh-huh. So yep. I, I had to figure out, okay, I got I to gotta take this 768 by 1024 screen size that I've used forever, and I don't just need to make the page fit better. I need to make sure the annotations still line up. Mm, right. Um, so there's I've done a lot of work on that. I'm really proud of. There are a number of different ways to really maximize the view of that of each page on the screen and then additional tools even beyond that so you can crop pages or you can just zoom in on a score if it has pretty consistent margins yeah yeah and then how does reflow work with annotations it kind of links it to that part of the the page yeah they get they get displayed um, basically it gets flattened before i display it so anything that's in that area just shows up as normal gotcha nice so um, something I was delighted to find is my original purchase. Uh, I, did the app come out in 2010? Yep. Yeah, so my <laughs> purchase uh, 13 years ago, uh, I was able to download version 14. Uh, For $2.99, right? Yeah, that was my original <laughs> price, I think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, best, best $3 I've ever spent. Um, so, and as you said, this thing's been continually updated and keeping um, up with the latest technologies and abilities with Apple Pencil. Um, but you do now have a Fourscore Pro subscription if you do want to you know, support development of this app that's been going for 13 years. very strong here. Um, so what features does this enable um, outside of just enabling this app to continue to <laughs> exist uh, mm-hmm. with uh, financial support? Well, I've been really lucky, I have to say, first of all, that, that word of mouth has done all the work here. People have, have like, my customers are responsible for where Fourscore is today. It's yeah. It's been supported endlessly, and I'm so thankful for that. But it was table stakes back then to say free updates for life. Yeah, It was one purchase up front, and that's that. And I, I do kind of wish Apple had eased up on that. I wish we could get trial versions. I wish we could have upgrade pricing, but they've made it clear for so long now that that's not really where they are. So I've, I had to pivot and I had to do my own thing. Yeah. It's, it's quite the workaround to try to do anything like a trial. Like it's some developers kind of hack their way into it, but it's, it's not designed for it. Yeah. At all. Yeah. So I, um, the, the bigger reason Fourscore Pro exists is, um, well, I would say, first of all, customer support. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you buy an app for $3 and you email us and we spend 10 minutes answering your email, we've lost money. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, I, and that sucks, but that's, um, you know, Apple takes 30% of the purchase price and then taxes go away out of that and mm-hmm. you're left with, you know, $1.50. Now, of course, it's a lot more than that. Yeah. But um, customer support is a drain on resources. I had to stop handling it personally years ago. Um, and so I do pay uh, pay someone to do that for me, Isaac. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So Foursquare Pro was primarily intended to help ease that burden to say, you know what, most of these emails we're getting are like the question at the top of the FAQ. Yeah. So we got to figure out how to solve that. Um, We have to put up a little bit of a barrier there so that people can't just be bombarding us with so many questions uh, every day in and day out um, that, that we can't we can't make Foursquare anymore. Right. So, so Foursquare Pro um, was kind of the dividing line between like, look, if you ask us a question that's answered in the FAQ, we're not going to answer it unless you're a Foursquare Pro subscriber. Then we'll, you know, we'll direct you to it. Yeah. And that line has shifted over time. We've kind of we're constantly reevaluating how we approach support in a way that is most effective to all users because otherwise you're asking users to pay a lot more upfront because of the small number of users who rely on support a lot more than the others. And that's not fair. So that's number one. Uh, number two is that I wanted to make a m- more interesting app. I wanted to do things like drag down menus where you tap and hold, or you, you basically you touch and you drag downward on any of the, the menu items in the main toolbar. And it gives you this little, basically contextual menu before yeah. those were a thing. Um, that's a really cool idea. I built that. I loved it. I wanted to use it, but I knew it would be confusing. I knew that a lot of people who didn't know what it was would see it pop up briefly. They would wonder why they tried to tap and it didn't go. That's the kind of thing where I was like, I need a solution for this. So Foursquare Pro was a, was a way to create two apps without creating two apps. It let me add things that I thought were really interesting, really useful, and kind of niche uh, without getting in the way of the average user. Because if it came right down to it, if I had to have one or the other, I would get rid of the Foursquare Pro features. It's not right. worth having things in there that are going to confuse people with a couple of exceptions mm-hmm. like face gestures. But yeah. um, that's pretty much how that went. Also, Apple was at the time um, incentivizing people to create subscriptions by lowering their cut. Um, So the business decision was easy. Apple was saying subscriptions of the future. I don't think that's true. I still think that there's room for a paid upfront app. That's Mm -hmm. really great. Um, But this gives me some, some ways to balance that and to move forward as sustainably as possible. Yeah. And so the gestures, I was really blown away by, especially the mouth one. This thing's brilliant. You just kind of like half smile in one direction and It'll turn the page 100% mm-hmm. accuracy in my testing. Uh, <laughs> it's worse when you have a beard. <laughs> it's worse or better? Yeah, a little worse when you have a, a beard. worse, okay. <laughs> For me, maybe yeah. my beard's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I'd have to, I don't know how you did this or something. It's, it's brilliant. Um, and this is stuff that I would have just dreamed of as, as a student. I, one thing I didn't consider Actually, I'm a saxophone player primarily. Wind instruments must have a more difficult time than pianists uh, trying to do some of the face gestures. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I added the wink detection with the latest version. Yeah, that, that's that, that opens it up to a number of people who couldn't use it before. Yeah, that makes total sense for yeah. What because I was I was testing with the wink. It's like I'm not. I need to practice my winking. Cause most time I can't get <laughs> just one eye closed, and it needs just the one eye. I believe. Yeah. Have you considered a double a double eye wink as an option, or is that hard to detect? 
I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to look into that. Yeah. Um, the, it's interesting. The, the like people people think that face gestures mostly comes down to uh, being able to collect the data, and Apple's doing most of that. They're giving me basically percentages of how likely it is that someone is doing a specific thing. Yeah. Uh, the hard part is turning that into a reliable page turner. There's a lot of nuance there that I discovered. Um, a lot of work put into it because you can you can take it conceptually and you could just say oh well it was it was detected you know seventy five percent is close enough let's just turn the page when it hits seventy five percent and it starts flipping multiple times yeah. and it, it could be a nightmare direction. scenario if it's not done right yeah yeah so um, I was I was really surprised when I really dug down into it to figure out ah here's a problem how do I fix that here's another problem how do I fix that and I I think it's I think it's really important to add that layer of intelligence on top of the raw data to really make something like that work. I hope I have. Yeah. Does it use only the image camera or if you're on a face ID iPad, are there added benefits with the gestures uh, as far as what it's picking up? No, I wish uh, face ID works in the dark. Uh, face gestures does not. It's, it's image processing. Gotcha. It's not, it doesn't use any of the, um, the magic. Okay. <laughs> So lighting is a factor. You can't use the yeah. pit orchestra probably unless you have a spotlight on you. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. That'd be a funny setup. You have like the little headlamp above your <laughs> <laughs> a visor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so winking is new. We're new uh, for 14. Then you had the, the mouth. What are any other gestures I'm missing? It's the mouth movements, um, the winking and head turning with uh, you have an airpod in for that one or well there's the it, there's head turning with face gestures so okay. it, it just analyzes where you're looking yep. as you turn your head and then the the airpods thing is separate that's actually using the fitness track and the motion sensor in the airpods oh, that's so, so that's even more reliable and you could use one or both and you can use them in the dark and yeah. you can use them with transparency mode on so it's not blocking your you're hearing. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. a really cool one. Yeah. Too. Imagine AirPods Pro 2 have been a big, uh, I imagine users that would, would benefit greatly on that one because uh, transparency is so much better and clearer than, than before. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine many people using AirPods Max with four score. With transparency <laughs> they're, mode, they're so heavy. <laughs> they're so heavy. <laughs> but transparency mode on uh, the Max are, are quite nice. It Does that even have this? Does that have the same sensors when it work with the Max? I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of those those little caveats that I I haven't actually tested on yeah. the Mac reliably uh, enough to yeah, remember. So, yeah, I don't know if that's the same with solarometers. It might be a whole different thing. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and then uh, another screen I just want to point out is the device information screen, which I just love. Mm -hmm. You just boot up the screen, tells you is your device new enough to have the face tracking and motion processing and all that. Um, for for these gestures, uh, how new of an iPad do you need for that to be supported? That's a good question, and I can't answer that definitively because sometimes these things change with software updates. Yeah. So one of the iPad no modifiers didn't have it, and then suddenly did with I think tw like iOS twelve point two or something. Oh, there's there's some update yeah. that just showed up, and suddenly like oh I gotta add this to the list now. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, so it's it's hard to know. Um, but most, most anything you can buy these days will support everything except the Apple pencil specific stuff. That's, yeah. um, that's M2 only gotcha. yeah. the hover gestures. And then, uh, there is a built-in piano. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm curious, you know, in uses of that, um, 
as far as performing, it, it seems like I, as far as it seems like it's good for like you know, dabbling a bit, but it might be a bit mm-hmm. tricky. Does it? Does the app support MIDI at all? If you hook up a MIDI keyboard to the iPad to have playback from that? Yep. There's a okay. lot of MIDI support. So the the keyboard, yeah, like you said, is primarily just for you know. Oh, I need to tap out a few notes here and see what see what this sounds like. Yeah. Um, I mentioned vocalists might use it to get reference pitches for intervals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. But yeah, it responds to MIDI signals, it, so it can highlight the notes as you play on an external keyboard. Um, it can play those notes in Fourscore with or without the keyboard showing. And then there's MIDI functionality built into a number of other places too. You can use MIDI signals to uh, to per- as like custom shortcuts in the page turners and shortcuts settings panel. Um, so you can do almost anything with a MIDI signal. You can open a specific score with a MIDI signal. You can have scores send MIDI signals when they're opened. Yeah, which is really fun. Huh. Um, yeah, there's, I'm probably forgetting some. There's a lot of MIDI. Yeah, MIDI is a fun technology. It's ancient, but it's, it's it is so dumb and so good. <laughs> yeah, I remember as a kid, it's like, oh, this is neat. Back then, I had to have a, had like a USB adapter to make it work with the computers, and it had this big box that like was an yep. adapter. It's <laughs> now you just plug it in the USB port. It feels like it's all one thing. <laughs> Where'd the punch cards go? Oh, right. <laughs> So uh, before discovering the awesome metadata page, I was going to ask about Apple Music integration, which it turns out it's already in here. Uh, mm-hmm. So how does this work and what kind of limitations should people be aware of with, you know, the licensing, I'm sure, kind of like sometimes pokes its head in there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, so Foursquare works with your shared device music library, which can contain tracks from Apple Music. They could be synced um, and then Foursquare also works with locally stored files. So you can send audio files into Foursquare and use them directly if you want. Okay. But um, there's kind of like three or four layers of what Foursquare can do based on how much access it has to the file. So if you've got um, a locally stored file or a file in app, in the music app that has been downloaded, it can get the raw file data and it can play it and it can give you all sorts of adjustments to speed and pitch and stuff like that. Um, if the file isn't actually downloaded, if it's streaming, then it becomes more limited. And that API itself has caused me a lot of problems over the years. Um, so your mileage does vary a little bit when it comes to stuff that isn't that isn't concrete, stuff that isn't on your device. Yeah. But um, I, I do my best to fall back gracefully as things become available and unavailable. But um, once you've got the track in, you can you can program your page turns to specific points in the track so that as it's playing, it'll flip yeah. for you. Um, you can loop if you want to hear a specific portion, things like that. Is there any ability with the new karaoke function to tap into that to you know get rid of the lead vocal so you could have that um, be you instead of the the vocalist within Foursquare. No, I wish no. Uh, that's a that's a that's a locked down internal only ah, thing. <laughs> that'd be so nice if you could uh, tap into that to change the mix a bit. Yeah, yeah. it would. Yeah. So uh, speaking of the metadata, one of the things completely redesigned for fourteen was the metadata page. So, what's changed? What are kind of the goals of this page? That panel was created really early on to fit the same size as the the main menu because you would tap the little arrow button next to a score in the menu and it would push that that view onto the stack and it would be that same size yeah. and that was um that was an okay decision at the time it was a horrible decision in the long run yeah. <laughs> i went through so many design iterations trying to squeeze way too much into there that i finally reached the point where i said all right 
I need to rewrite this from scratch. I need to make this flexible. I need to use modern design cues. Um, this isn't working anymore. So I, I created a, a sidebar on larger screens or a tab bar on smaller screens, and I divided them up into sections, and I, um, I made them far more flexible. So the idea being that if I want to add another type of metadata in the future, I don't have to make that decision based on whether or not there's space in the panel <laughs> for it. <laughs> which is what I was doing before. And that yeah. was ridiculous. Um, but that's, that was the impetus. And I, I love it. I think it looks so much better. I, um, I know some people don't like the, the stock iOS design. It, it looks a little stale to some people, but I think it's been evolving quite nicely over the last couple of years as we've gotten back into slightly rounded shapes, a few drop shadows here and there. Um, and, and I think it, I think it looks nice and clean and is less distracting. And I think it's, it's always been my goal to make it feel as iOS-y as possible because I, I hate going into an app and having to relearn how to share things from scratch. And yeah, that always, that always bugs me. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned Apple Music is in there. What other kind of very useful metadata fields and information can you tie to a song? Explore? Well, you can, do, you can do just about anything text-based. Uh, there's composer, genre, uh, tags, labels, um, all of those can be renamed. They are comma separated, so you can have more than one value. So you could you could define it however you want. You can you can change that from composers to you know, artists or, or whoever. Then there's a reference, a unique reference um, key, rating difficulty, and I think that's it. <laughs> okay, very cool. And, and then, all of these uh, things help you in the menus. They help you organize. The, you can see by these things or sort by them. So things like key, you can't, you know, you don't, there's not a main category for C major, but like you go into everything by composer X and you can sort by key. So there's two levels of, of kind of organizing and finding things that way. Yeah, very cool. And then another tool outside the metronome is the tuner, and that's been rewritten as well. Uh, what was it like before and kind of what would you end up with here? That was pretty much unchanged since its introduction, which I want to say was somewhere between 2012, 2013. Okay. It, was, it was creaky. And, yeah. and that's kind of okay because pitch analysis is, a, is a, a, not a fast-moving art. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of the examples you can find are, are basically unchanged from 25 years ago, written in C. Um, so, so it didn't, it it wasn't an easy target for me to replace, but I, I did get to the point where I was like, all right, this, this doesn't work well enough and I want to make it better. And while I'm at it, I'm going to dive really in deep with Swift UI and I'm going to make something that can go from watch to Mac and it does. So it's also, um, it's a standalone app called TuneWave. Yeah. Um, that and it's then it's included in Fourscore to a limited extent. So um, that was a really interesting journey for me, learning a lot more about SwiftUI than I knew from the start. Um, and I I think it has obvious caveats, but it's it's clear why it's such a darling in Apple right yeah. now. It the, does do a lot. Yeah, Metronome on the watch seems like such a natural fit with it using the haptics on your wrist. That seems like there's got to be a fair bit of action there. Except that the Apple Watch is intended for brief interactions. Will so, it shut down if the screen goes quiet? 
I I don't know. Okay, <laughs> it okay. would have at one point I, when I looked into it, it, that would have been the case. Yeah. So I didn't really pursue it any further. By the time I did look back into it, a lot of other people had made similar things. Okay. So it, it's not a need I need to scratch, but um, yeah. I, I definitely thought the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I imagine haptics might totally just turn off if it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a <laughs> weird. Yeah, I understand the constraint, but you know. They should have yeah. a, a mode if you're on the Apple Watch Ultra thing to, to, to suck up the battery if you want to. <laughs> I love my Apple Watch Ultra. Oh, That's great. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, yeah, I'm still waiting to get uh, mine at some point. I, I'm probably going to get version two. Um, it was mm. on the series on the series seven uh, stainless steel. Yeah. So, um, riding that out a little bit longer. Um, nice. Store kit version two is mm-hmm. uh, implemented here, and the store itself, I have to say, it, it's kind of awesome and it reminds me of like the app store but just within Fourscore, and it also lets you kind of showcase in a more visual manner like some features like the airpods gestures it kind of lets you kind of an alternative way to learn about the app within the store which is kind of nice as well yeah that was also down to came down to the fact that when i was rethinking the storefront i wasn't really sure what was going to be the primary emphasis for it, what was going to work out i knew that i wanted third-party content but i had just kind of wound down the publisher program yeah so i was like well, okay well what what does this look like what is this for um and i i did take cues from the app store at the time which was did have some editorial stuff and i figured you know what this is this is something that i could create an update server side so i can have uh, i can add things i can change things whenever i want and the app will just present them in this one interface and this is a great way for me to post things about new updates or to um, to talk about features or to showcase new apps that I've made along with obviously having the content um, and being the the one of the main interaction points for content providers through search because you can search in the storefront and you can find things available through places like music notes yeah. and it'll take you over there you can go and make your purchase and when you come back it'll look to see if anything has changed and it'll download it for you when you're done um but yeah, that was it. Was definitely um, probably like dashboard. It was something that was fueled in large part by my interest in trying a new design. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can search the partners you plug into. Is that what? You, yeah, the ones yeah? that offer a search API. Okay. So right now that's Music Notes and Virtual Sheet Music. I'm hoping some of the others will come along with their own okay. APIs too. And to get set up with the partners, you basically go to their kind of website and get the account set up there, or is there some kind of account setup process within the app? Yeah, I stay away from account setup and from the actual purchasing because Apple has really fuzzy rules about yes. what constitutes an in-app purchase and whether or not you're allowed to tell people that they can buy things outside of your app. Yes, so they are very I, funny about that. I have to toe that line a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, for, yeah, for now, you just go over, you set up your account on your own. You need to know where to find that website and how to use it. And, yeah. uh, and I help you from there. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, another discovery I made within the store was the Fourscore Q app, which seems really incredible. So rather than having to wait for this big 16-inch iPad Pro, you can link up to 12.9s or two 11-inches and have two sheets of music side by side. Exactly. Uh, any other use of the Foursquare uh, queue or is that kind of the main scenario of it? I mean, it started as a remote control. So it was basically an iPhone app that let you control a nearby iPad. So okay. you could turn pages from the audience. Say. Yeah. Um, and then dual page mode came along. And I think that pretty much reshaped the the app itself and, and pivoted into a, a whole new thing that I think is really incredible 
you've not only got the ability to view two pages side by side, they coordinate how they turn pages. You can use links and buttons or maybe just links on either mm-hmm. and uh, on either side and it works. You can turn pages from either screen. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's so natural because, you know, sheet music is two pages mostly. (laughs) (laughs) So when you boot this up, Foursquare Q and have them paired, the main iPad will have different UI elements than Foursquare Q or how's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Q is, becomes a, a a viewer. So it has, it shows the page. uh, It has some of the on-screen elements and it responds to tap and swipe gestures. But otherwise the, the main device has all of the, the other four score interface stuff. Okay. And like annotations you need to be mindful of and do on the main device. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. And is it a local connection? Like how is it talking to the other app, mm-hmm. iPad? Yeah. It's, it uses Apple's framework. So it's usually a combination of Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. Okay. Um, nice. And yeah. that's kind of, that's all behind the scenes. Yeah. It seems brilliant. Are there music stands that support multiple iPads easily or? I don't know. I've never seen one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That'd be a curious just thing to explore. Yeah. Um, the worst, thing in the, world, make one? the worst thing in the world would be someone smashing a music stand with two iPads. <laughs> oh, God. The value. Ugh. Yeah. But I'm sure, I'm sure people that do use this have ways of securing them properly and all that. Um, mm-hmm. The 12 South has the hover bar tower thing that would be, I think, perfect in this scenario. You could have two of those set up side by side. And, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then secondary window support. Uh, mm-hmm. And I guess stage manager is now out as a thing, which would play into this a bit. Um, I do imagine this app primarily is a big single window. So kind of what are, what's the second window support like and how's it playing with stage manager and all that good stuff? Sure. Um, Foursquare was built as a single window app. Absolutely. 100%. I, I didn't, I never considered that there would be two copies of the same interface at the same time yeah. uh, was not something I planned for. And it was not something that I could just flip over to. So when multi-window support became a thing, I was, I was a little concerned because Foursquare had been written for a very different era. And I got to the point where I said, okay, I either need to completely restructure how most of this works and I'm going to cause a lot of damage in the process or I can create a whole new Foursquare experience as the secondary window and write essentially a brand new Foursquare in plain view over the course of multiple years. Start with the basics. It's okay if it doesn't do everything because it's just secondary windows. It's not Mm -hmm. the primary interface. And I can add things and go further and further each year until maybe at some point, I have no idea, maybe secondary windows will become the primary interface for the app. So that was... That was what I decided to go for. That was, okay. I think, the right the right call because it left everything where it was for existing users. Um, and it's been really fun. It's been really interesting to do. And with 14, I think I've gotten almost all the way there with secondary windows. They can do pretty much everything primary windows can do except for, let's see, it's um, the audio utilities. Mm-hmm. So the metronome, tuner, and pitch pipe are not there. The keyboard is not there. Uh, audio playback is not there. Okay. Um, and then I think Q is the other one. Those are pretty much the only things that are not supported right now in secondary windows that I intend to support there. Okay. Um, and what are, what are some of the uses you've seen people using the second window for at this point? 
I haven't. I don't know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is something I've been creating. Um, you know, for for me, I know that people are using it. I'm I'm glad that they're using it. Yeah. I I think it's it comes down to style. I think most of the cases where you'd use secondary windows, you you could easily also use tabs, mm-hmm. but you just want to see them at the same time. Yeah, referencing um, a sheet of music as you're looking at another one kind of thing, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Putting it on the external monitor if you're if you're practicing yes. at your computer with an iPad and you have big or your desk setup if you have an external monitor for your iPad or whatever you have your desk setup you have the big sure. screen there that could be a scenario. There's been as well. external screen support for a while, so that's um, okay. that's been there in a different way. Yeah, but this also does that. Yeah, if you're on a Mac, you could just drag the window over. Whereas right. on an iPad, in the past, you could connect an external screen. You'd need a secondary window, a secondary type type of display for that. So that was yeah. a little different. Have you? I meant to ask this about Fourscore Q. Have you ever played around with the whole scenario of um, syncing um, like a, a band together with different scores and stuff in the conductor, or is that kind of beyond the bounds with PDF-based um, scores? Yeah. So, so Q does coordinate page turns from a leader to multiple followers. It doesn't move any content around. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it can transfer files as needed. So if you are leading a group and someone doesn't have a file that you've opened, it can ask that, that it tells that user and that user can request the file and then the leader will send a copy over to okay. them. Um, but th- I, th- the, I think the scenario you're probably hinting at a bit more is, is what used to be the groups feature where you could coordinate uh, a library that would then be pushed out to other yeah, devices. Right. And that was a, a great idea, but it was built off of CloudKit. And Apple was telling people at the time that they were going to charge for it, but they never got around <laughs> to saying how much. <laughs> yeah. So I had to price it pretty aggressively and, or unaggressively, however that works. Um, and it just didn't make financial sense. Nobody used it, and I had to can it. Yeah, um, I, I think there's a there's a great use case for that kind of stuff. I'd love to explore iCloud sharing at some point, mm-hmm. but uh, or, that just uh, wasn't in the cards with that feature. Yeah, have you explored SharePlay? Like I don't know if that'd be a logical I'd, technology. I actually spun off my piano keyboard into Piano with Friends, which is yeah. a piano app that uses SharePlay, so people can play piano together from multiple devices oh, anywhere cool. in the world. That, 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 that <laughs> yeah. sounds kind of fun, yeah. 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 Nice. And then um, sharing itself, how, how has it improved with version 14? Uh, the big addition to the sharing panel there is the ability to actually copy um, and automation links. So the, the sharing interface now gives you an easy way to say, oh, I don't I don't actually want to share this. I want to share the directions to this. So it's a special URL that you can use that you can script. Um, you can basically tap on from anywhere, and it opens up Foursquare to that specific piece, page, whatever. There are a number of different um, different scenarios. Like if, if you're looking at a, a piece in a set list, it asks you, do you want to go to the piece or do you want to go to the piece within the set list? Um, that's the primary edition there. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. And then anything about the design in general that you want to mention, um, either, you know, kind of how it's evolved or where it is today and anything that you're particularly proud of within the design. Well, the big news with Foursquare 14 is the new icon. Yes. Which yeah. is really scary because it's been the exact same design. I mean, the, the background, the gradient has changed, but the, the symbol has been unchanged yeah, it's like, my, since 1.0. Go? I updated. Where'd it go? <laughs> and you know, it's, um, it's a, it's a scary, 
a scary thing to face, but it's not a good reason to keep something. No. So I figured, you know what? I'm going to come up with something new. And I ended up coming up with way too many things that were new. And I ended up with a bunch of icons. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to throw these all in. We're going to pick a default. Yeah. We're going to let people decide for themselves. It's time to have some fun with it. Absolutely. Because I'm pretty meticulous about how small Fourscore's download size is. And adding alternate app icons does increase that size. But, you know, at, at some point, it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, there's a lot of fun ones in there. Um, and I think you get a few more with the, the Pro uh, subscription as well. Yeah. Yep. And then anything we didn't cover that you want to before we wrap it up? I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, I think so, right? Yeah, I tried to cover all the bases there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we mentioned the Piano uh, SharePlay app and the the, the uh, you spun off the tuning app as well? Or what, what are some of the other apps uh, worth yeah. mentioning? There's the, the Music Box set of apps, which is the four apps. So it's Q, and then there's the, the Tutor Metronome and Pitch Pipe which are TuneWave, uh, Modus, and Onyx. I just renamed them, so I have to remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I have a, a little MIDI recorder called Nocturne that I, I made for my own purposes that I, I adore, uh, and then the Piano app as well. Uh, those, are my, those are my four score apps. I have a couple of games that I make on the side. But Very cool. You'll, yeah. People will have to sleuth to figure that one yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember back in the days... Um, people would spend like hundred dollars or two hundred dollars on this fancy high-end like tuner and metronome and now like our expensive apple devices can do this it's it's kind of uh, brilliant yeah how that's shifted. yeah it is yeah totally. um well where can people find more information about uh fourscore if they're so inclined the website is fourscore.co co uh that's the best place if you want to learn about me it's justinbianco.com um and i'm on mastodon uh, you can go to justinbianco.com slash hey and you can find lots of links to Sweet. my stuff um, I'm on Mastodon a lot now I uh, I like being a little more personal and a little more present I, yeah. uh, I, I hid behind the guise of the royal we for a long time <laughs> as as the four score uh, and now I'm just happy to be me and to, to share what I do and, and what I learn and to, to be available to people so I encourage people to come and, and find me and say hello Awesome. And then, uh, yeah, just download uh, the App Store to get started with Fourscore. Yep. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time. I uh, can't believe we haven't done this uh, already. So thank you. It's high time. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, that's my interview with Justin. Learn more about Fourscore over at Fourscore.co. My thanks again to Justin for his time recording this interview. My thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. As a reminder, you can support this podcast over at Patreon.com slash Pros or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.